0: Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. Delighted to be joined today by Angela Cox, who's a behavioural change life coach and you work with senior leadership and professionals, Angela. Welcome.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. It's a joy to be on. And yeah, that's right. I do. I work with senior leaders, professionals and some entrepreneurs as well.
0: I don't know where I fit in any of those, actually. Anyway, that's a, another podcast, sure it. another podcast in itself. No, it's it. probably probably part of my problem. Be good for the listeners then to understand a bit more about you. So that's it. An interesting introduction. It's intriguing. So tell us a bit more about what you do and how you've got to doing what you do today.
1: Yeah, so I work with people, I suppose, who are successful in their own right, but want to be more successful and have things that get in their way. We all have things that get in our way in terms of beliefs and and shackles, as I call them. I guess I've not been doing it very long. I set up the the business maybe 18 months ago now. And before that, I I worked in corporates for a number of years. So I was strategy director for Compass Group, which is a big food services multinational and also worked in consulting for a number of years. And before I I set up the practice, I was working for OEE consultant, um, OEE as part of their leadership team. I guess I've always been a coach. I've always kind of had one-to-one conversations with people and heard all about their personal lives. I've got one of those faces. And so it's been something that I've been passionate about for a number of years and, and just decided to do that pivot, really, retrained in lots of different change modalities so I can help people not only in a coaching way, but in a therapeutic way as well. And I think the blend of those two things brings something really special because I can help people stop being stuck, but I can then also help people unleash their potential. And and that's what it's all about for me.
0: Amazing. So doing some really good work with lots of individuals to help them move forward in, in life and business, I assume. So can be related to both.
1: Absolutely. And I think both of them are equally important because if we shine a light too brightly on just one, then I tend to find that the other area suffers. So this is about that holistic approach across all aspects of life and and just driving people to be happy, really, um, and get rid of those pesky, never enough programmes that many of us can run.
0: I know, I, I have that difficult balance with my football team. If I'm having a good year at work, my football team normally has a bad year and if work's a bit of a, a challenge or whatever it is, <laughs> they're normally doing great. I can never have a good year at work and a good year at the football team but. Are... <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't, I, I don't get it. Maybe I'm overthinking it. Um, but yeah, it, it, it dawned on me a couple of years ago that there were some real parallels and vicious cycles and all that. But anyway, that's that's an, that's another debate. Football, I could spend days on podcasts on that. So, <laughs> we're going to talk about productivity change. So, yes. lot lots of change in the world, certainly recently, and in the life we live. We do lots with retailers, hospitality companies, and they're, they're always changing, some at speeds that maybe are too quick and mm-hmm. it doesn't stick or it's not not ingrained before they move on to the next thing. And as, as we've yeah. seen in, in certainly recent years, specifically retail, some don't change enough and therefore they're caught in what somebody called in a different podcast, the difficult middle ground. Customers don't know what they stand for, maybe they don't know what they stand for, and they disappear or get consumed by somebody else. Mm. So change is difficult, whether it be business or personal. Some people say they're great in it and maybe struggle underneath. Some say they're not great in it and are, and other people get caught in the middle. But there is a curve, isn't there, of change, and people go through different phases of that at different speeds and experience Mm -hmm. different things. So from a, a change curve point of view, It'd be good to get your thoughts on kind of how that could impact productivity and the different stages, how people may be feeling.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, the reason I've kind of brought this to the table today is because I spent years working in business improvement. So part of my previous roles was kind of, you know, that old lean transformation, customer journey stuff, improving effectiveness and efficiency in, in operations and in businesses. And as part of that, you know, we'd we'd always talk about the change curve because when you're taking people and businesses on that transformational journey, you very much see the people in the organisation going through the change curve. And so, as a change leader, that was something that was very much at the forefront of my mind. But I think interestingly, now that I work with individuals more and more, I notice that the change curve is very much part of an individual change journey too. And of course. It's just so applicable to everything that we do um, that involves a level of agility and a level of pivoting or, you know, needing to change the way we think, feel, act, behave. But I think it's become even more pertinent during the lockdown. And, you know, you could really see the change curve playing out in the media at the start of lockdown. So, you know, we were all in that kind of shock denial phase of the the lockdown right at the very beginning, before before lockdown was even announced. I'm sure you can relate to some of the conversations people were having around, oh, it's not going to be as bad as what people think. And, you know, surely they won't put us on lockdown in the UK because it's going to have a massive effect on the economy. It's not going to happen. It'll just blow over. And many of us, including me, had our heads buried in the sand in terms of the enormity of what we were facing into. And then we kind of, you know, got into lockdown and and really started to notice that frustration and anger coming through. You know, that term covid was coined and lots of kind of shame in the press around people's behaviours, you know, the stockpiling of toilet rolls and all of that started to play out. And then more recently in lockdown, I'd say maybe when we were getting to week five and week six, we were in that real dip in the change curve that I like to call the pit of despair, where everybody was like, oh God, you know, is this ever going to end? I feel unmotivated. I don't want to go and exercise. I keep going to the fridge and eating everything that's in sight and I'm drinking more and all of these unhelpful habits and just a general lack of productivity. Yeah. Picking in at that point, you know, so more, more and more people saying they had Zoom fatigue in work meetings and just, you know, trying to juggle homeschooling and all of that stuff. Just can't be bothered. And then, of course, I, I noticed in the media that we were starting to just get to that level of acceptance. You know, this is kind of we've, we've adapted to lockdown. We've adapted a lot of us to working at home, adapted to all of the challenges that we're facing into. And indeed, we've created lots of new habit loops, you know, and, and cues for those habits so that we can adapt and change. And just as we were doing that, Boris came out with that Sunday evening announcement that had a lack of clarity for many of us. And boom, you know, we're on that Tarzan swing of the change curve that puts us back into anger and frustration. And there you see Piers Morgan, you know, on Twitter giving it one after the other in terms of all of the things that are wrong in this country. And, and that collective negative energy shifted, you know, across the country, really. And then, of course, we had Dominic Cummings, which which put people back into anger and frustration again. And we're finding it really difficult to actually move on to that acceptance and the new normal because we've constantly got this thing that is swinging us backwards and forwards. So I think for me, the change curve is hugely important. And what I'm finding when I talk to people about it is they're going, "God, there's a process. I get it. I understand why my productivity is being, um, you know, is 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 lower than it would normally be. I understand why I feel so frustrated." and because i know there's a process now that sits underneath that i can manage myself through that process and actually become more effective and be a little bit more kind to myself so i think change curve is hugely impactful it's great to have awareness of it not just in a business context but in this personal element as well just to be able to to manage yourself more effectively
0: and is there a danger that as we head towards christmas and we are wherever we are at that moment in time there's some delayed symptoms from that totally
1: totally and and you know you make you make a good point because there's going to be almost another change curve cycle that we'll need to go into so as we start to move into this blinking phrase the new normal that everybody is using as we start to move into that that takes us back into denial again because it means that we have to develop a whole set of new habits and we're going to have to go through the process once more so there'll be another pit of despair that we'll have to endure and then we'll be able to move on to the new normal and who knows what's coming after that you know so so know that you're going to be in this cycle forever I would say and it just keeps repeating.
0: Yeah it's interesting because all the there's not much talk about the future of it, if that makes sense. And, and Christmas will be on us before we know it as ever. And we will be where we will be at that time. Maybe there'll be things in people's minds about how close they want to interact with people still, whether they do things more online still, or actually whether they're all desperate to get out and have a meal together if they can or or whatever. You know, you've got that whole... Christmas party season that will come and be amazing, or actually pass us by this year because we yeah. can't do it or don't want to do it. Essentially,
1: so, distant Christmas. Can you imagine? We'll I be
0: can't on, imagine beyond beyond Zoom. Right? It'd be like the um, <laughs> background of Santa going past and um, yeah, you know, Christmas dinner. On, Christmas dinner on Zoom. Maybe maybe it's the future. Um, <laughs> It'll
1: you know, be cheaper, I'll, that's for sure. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, uh, yeah. Vouchers may be the thing this year then that um, that yeah, goes through the roof. So yeah, for me, there's there's that piece of, and I probably unintentionally experienced some of it in kind of off the cuff comments this this week and last week about oh, next time I have to get up at r five to drive to the station to go to London for the day, that's going to be really painful. And the, I love I love going and meeting people, love love London, but actually the thought of doing it again, especially as we enter the dark, the dark mornings and early evenings, mm-hmm. was just like oh, actually. No, I've I've kind of teleported me there, but the whole Uh end to end, I've not
1: missed the horrible bit.
0: (laughs) Not missed at all. And and somebody else said to me the the other week a bit on the the same note about can't remember the last time I filled my car up with petrol.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, there's so many advantages isn't there to where we are at the moment. And and one of those is the fact that we are developing lots of new habit cues, as I said. And, and that's why a lot of lockdown has felt exhausting for many and impacted productivity back to that point. But I guess, you know, there's all pathways that we have. So the cue of the alarm going off and, you know, trudging to the train station or getting in your car all of the things that you used to do those pathways are still very much there they might be a bit overgrown at the moment but you know once you're back into the rhythm and routine of those because those pathways have been present in your life for a long time it will be easy to slip back into into the new normal and i guess the self-talk is important around that because, you know, you, you've just articulated the, oh, God, what's it going to be like? Yeah. And if we're thinking about it with that, oh, God, um, self-talk, then we make it more difficult for ourselves. So, you know, this is about sort of really tuning in to those self-stories, the narrative that we have running in our minds all the time and focusing on re- reframing that to as positive a message as you can, which, again, just boosts the optimism it boosts the energy that you have and allows you to be more productive as a result and allows you to look forward to what's coming rather than dreading it
0: yeah and from a business point of view again we've been talking about the whole businesses getting back to normal and it'll be again interesting to see where it, it does end up because at the moment it might be more beneficial because of the work the government's done in terms of support for businesses almost not to get people back. They're paying for a big percentage of that workforce. They're paying Mm. some of the rents and rates. So we're in this really strange place as a big business. If I'm not sure people are going to come and buy, let's say, young fashion, because that's one that's always under pressure and the seasons are passing by and they've probably bought the stock. As a business, it might be better for me to stay shut and more cost-effective to stay shut than actually open until that funding tails off or people are, are yes. bats so again that probably throws people back into that negative self-talk stuff they'll procrastinate on it and make the the story worse potentially than it than it needs to be
1: and and that you know that's a good point in terms of what we call cognitive distortion because there there is this propensity to catastrophize and create narratives based on worst case scenarios And plant those into your future and then you start moving towards those subconsciously and and actually create that as your new truth. So this is why the reframing of self-talk is so important. But I also think it's about managing your emotions around that too. So as you say, there's such lack of clarity at the moment and and there's this propensity to look over the fence at what other people are doing and allow yourself to get frustrated. You know, so there's this school of thought that you know, many people are are using the um, furlough scheme when they don't really need to be and they're using it to be able to retain cash in their own business and probably they don't need to so there's lots of of kind of judgment being passed lots of opinion and I've got this theory about really staying in your own lane around this and doing what's right for you so that you're not creating that negative energy inside of you because it's just like drinking your own poison really and there's this spectrum of concern through to panic that I think is hugely prevalent at the moment, and will continue to be as we start to move out of lockdown, and you know, putting ourselves back in the face face of the threat, I suppose. And the spectrum, uh, uh, the one side is concern, and concern, of course, is healthy. So it's good to be curious about stuff and to go and arm yourself with the facts, and that gives you, you know, some some idea of what's going on, and you can make healthy decisions off the back of it as you start to move along that spectrum, that's where you have to kind of manage and regulate yourself and be careful. So, you know, the next step of after concern is worry. And you can get into rumination, you can get into those stories and those narratives, those worst case scenarios that just play over and over and over in your mind. And it's pointless energy. Yeah. You know, I liken it to having a pan of water on the stove and you've got the pan on simmer it's not really going to cook anything. And if it does cook something, it's going to take forever. So it's just, it's full of energy, but it's pointless energy. And so to to manage worry effectively, one of the things that I suggest is to be really mindful. So get yourself in the moment. Mm -hmm. And it sounds a little bit twee. And, you know, for a long time, I kind of pushed mindfulness to one side and thought that that was for people who meditate and kind of sit with cross-legged with their their hands and their, their fingers and thumbs together. But it's actually really effective at stopping racing thoughts and choosing where you put your attention. So from a productivity perspective, being more mindful will help you to be more in control of your productivity and where you're placing your thoughts. And it can be as simple as picking up an object and studying it for a few minutes to stop the racing thoughts and the rumination, looking at a candle flame for a few minutes, going out in the garden and garden and listening to the birds. It doesn't have to be, you know, half an hour of meditation. It can be a really short and simple exercise. But the more you do it, the more you build resilience in the system, the more you're able to choose where you place your thoughts and get control, which is important.
0: I like the point you were talking about before about being in your own lanes. There's the classic things about it, it's a race, not a sprint in terms of life. For me, the <laughs> bit that, for me, the bit that's always missing on that is you're only racing yourself.
1: Totally, totally.
0: You get pulled into. Competing, don't you? If you're not careful with who's got the best car, who's got the best house, who's got the best garden, all those material things that, yeah. let's face it, actually don't make a difference. Did And it took me a while in life to work out that the race isn't with anybody other than yourself
1: totally it's a, such a great point and you know it's that thing around a mile is a mile no matter how fast or slow you run it you're still going to do it and, and it and one of my good mates is um Andy Cope he's a positive psychologist and he writes a great book called the art of being brilliant and in that he talks about the fact that we have 4000 weeks on average if we're lucky as a human being we get 4000 weeks on the planet Now, I'm just over 40 now, which means that I've used over half of them. And when you look at it from that perspective and you look at how much time you spend comparing with others, worrying about stuff, you know, letting time pass you by. And then you look at that and you go, I've got 1800 weeks left. What am I going to do with them? That really helps you get back in your own lane because it doesn't matter about anybody else. It's about what you're doing and how quickly or slowly you want to make stuff happen. Um, yeah. So I'll figure out how many you've got left. What would you say?
0: But, about the same as you, probably. It's, it's See, not
1: a lot, is it?
0: No, no, and it—it's that balance, isn't it? And I know we diversify slightly, but it is that balance of living in the moment. And I—I'm I, a saver, so I'll plan for the future and all that kind of stuff. And I kind of admire people that live in the moment, but then the other half of me's thinking, yeah, but what happens about tomorrow? And they their responsibility tomorrow might ne- never come, which I. Uh, got a lot of admiration for that probably too safe so I'm thinking yeah but there's a day after that and there's a day after that and I don't want to run out of money by then and I want to whatever and you, and you don't know what you don't know in life do you and life Absolutely. F- teaches us that in, in really difficult ways at times but yeah that whole how many weeks have you got left yeah it's a, it's a scary thought I don't know interesting thought and, <laughs> and crystallizes the mind and focuses the mind doesn't it on making the best use of that time.
1: It really does. It provokes thought, doesn't it? And I'm with you. You know, I want to believe that there's a tomorrow and a next day and I want those to be amazing. But I have to make sure that I'm not one foot in front of myself all the time, which is a real habit of mine. So the mindfulness does bring me back to the here and now and and in pockets, it's great and, and really does build that resiliency so that you can cope with stuff on an emotional basis and not kind of go into that next phase of the cycle which is fear and panic because when you're in those you know the pan is boiling and it's boiling over and you're in fight or flight or freeze and the way that you then behave it towards yourself and towards others and, and the impact on your self-talk and indeed back to your productivity point uh, is just horrendous so keeping yourself towards that concern end is key and a mindfulness is one of the keys to making sure that you can do that.
0: Yeah Annie I definitely need to get better at living in the moment at times I'm always too focused on what's in front what's next? and, and some, <laughs> sometimes missed a moment and there, there's a brilliant picture that's, I don't know if you've seen it or not it was on social media there's I think it was when Barack Obama was either becoming president or leaving office and there's the picture is just a, a sea of people behind a barrier. And oh, every, I saw it. Every yeah. single one of them has got a camera, except one old lady. And the kind of thing yeah. above the top is living the moment. And you, and I get stuck with that. I'd have been the probably one taking the photo thinking, yeah, look, i got a picture of Barack in capture it. Uh-huh. But, but she's the one that will be able to tell how it looked, how it felt, how yeah. she felt, while everybody else is saying, oh, look, there's me and Barack. So it, again, a simple thing but actually that's one of those visuals that brings me back to yeah we do as a society live very much in a recording world or life through a lens world and although that's cool to show your mates when they ask you how you felt at the time you were too busy trying to get the right shot or the right angle or the right thing to actually tell them how it felt what you know so what,
1: true
0: it so yeah and a
1: lot of that is that external validation requirement that many of us have to say you know look what I've done look what I've done give me some validation give me some validation and actually you know that that is one of the big elements of self-talk again in terms of really tuning into that narrative and starting to change that over time but reframing self-talk and changing the narrative is a daily habit and many of us you know, can do it for a few days. And then you forget, don't you? It's a bit like training the the physical muscles. It's like anything that needs to become a habit. It's easy to drop it, easy to let it go. And when you do, you find that the the concern spectrum starts to move towards the right and that you become more negative and your energy is, is lower.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So some amazing practical tips, I think, for anybody who's listening to this of how they can um, help themselves. If people want to find you and find out more about, about what you do, where's the best place for them to contact you, Angela?
1: Um, so LinkedIn is always a good place. Um, so obviously Angela Cox, Mindset Mentor on LinkedIn. And then my website, um, I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes. It's we will, yeah. um, Angela-Cox.co.uk. I'm on all the social media platforms. I love putting out content. That could be that external validation thing. Um, but yeah, I'm... Um, <laughs> You don't have to go too far to find me.
0: Amazing. I've enjoyed the chat. One of the things you're asking everybody that comes on is what's the best bit of business advice you've ever been given?
1: Oh, best bit of business advice. It would be around authenticity. So I think one of my biggest learnings in corporate land, and for many years I, I fell foul of this, I try to be what other people expected of me or what I perceived other people expected of me so you know I'm from Bolton I would try and hide my accent I'd try and be you know really posh I'm quite intelligent but I'd, I'd often hide that and try and kind of come across as really friendly instead to try and get people to like me and I really did wear a mask for a number of years until a really really great leader of mine talked to me about authenticity and about just being me and, and it's actually only in the last three or four years that I've been able to lean in and do that. And it's taken a lot of self-discovery. But that being true to yourself and not living up to other people's expectations has been key. And I guess the other one is creating clarity where there is none, um, you know, which, which is from a productivity point of view yeah. is one of the best pieces of advice that I ever had.
0: Good. Well, I'm from Lancashire, I think Bolton, Lancashire, Greater Manchester, best part of the country anyway. Of course it is. (laughs) So sorry if we alienate anybody else. My my wife's from Yorkshire and we have a red rose, white rose debate um, quite quite a lot of the time, but I'm quite clear (laughs) on where the best place to come from is. So um, no, never, never, don't be proud not to be from uh, from that neck of the woods by any stretch. Oh, so it's been, thank you. Listen, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a pleasure to chat. I've really enjoyed this one. Learned a lot, some good practical techniques as well. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. So take care and thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you.